1: If you recall, last week we spent most of our time talking about how to respond to the will of God in your life when things don't go well. And we covered that not knowing that less than a week we would have to really embrace that truth from the inside out. And then today we have to revisit that for a moment and then move forward in that truth to understand how can God promise through Christ to give us and everyone on planet Earth the abundant life who would know Christ as Savior. And so what I'm going to ask you to do today is I'm going to ask you as much as possible to lean into this message as a student would, wanting to learn about God and how good God is and also to help us to be prepared for whatever might come our way. And frankly, what happened in Japan, I don't care how strong the house would be built or the big buildings would be built, no matter how much they would be ready for any kind of catastrophe, nothing could withstand some of the activity that happened this last week. And so when that all happens, then you know that no matter what the best man can do, we won't be prepared for that, that our life will change just like that. And so how do we handle those things that are in our life? Those of you that remember this verse will remember about Jesus Christ when he said that he came to give life and he also came to give it more abundantly. That's an interesting two-part verse because the first part talks about that He promised to give us life knowing that we will die physically, so how can we have eternal life and to live forever with Him in a place where there will be no earthquakes or tsunamis or disease or pain or sorrow or sickness and all the rest in a constant state of worship and bliss with God. And He did that by experiencing by Himself all the earthquakes, tsunami, disease, everything that could ever happen to a person on the cross when he bore our sin so that we could be rescued eternally from that. And then he said, I also came to give you an abundant life. The problem is today is that we so quickly think the abundant life is made up in health and wealth. And that's not too unusual. Who wouldn't want to be healthy? In fact, I look at some of us that are at our age in life. We did a lot to uh, give up our health to get our wealth, didn't we? And now we're spending our wealth to try to get our health back. And yet at the same time, the Lord says that our abundance is not going to be made up with all the things in this earth because it can quickly be taken away, whatever it might be. But our abundance is made up with that inner being of peace that God provides for us to be able to, in a sense, rejoice through that. So today's message is talking about the abundant life. And we're going to bring our series on 1 Thessalonians to a close. So let me ask you as a little fun thing here. How many of you were with us when we began our study of the book of 1 Thessalonians, the letter of Paul to the church at Thessalonica? How many were with us at the beginning? All right. How many of you know how many sermons I preached on this particular book? You can write it on your margin see if you would win the prize. There were 13 sermons that we gave and I have to tell you it was very difficult because I wanted to give 1300 sermons on this and park on phrases of each of these verses because they were just rich. It's like trying to eat a malasada all in one bite. You just can't do it. It's little bites and savor that. But there's enough there to help you. At the end, you'll notice I've provided for you a bibliography. This is not the extent of all the resource material that I use to do these sermons. But it is enough for you that say, you know, Pastor, I'd like to have something more. I'd like to continue going deeper in this and maybe go into 2 Thessalonians. There's some material there for you to come alongside you in your personal study that you might want to do that. Then there are those of you who are saying, I missed some of those messages, what can I do? Well, first of all, you can write the church office or me personally and I'll be glad to send you a teacher version, I call it, of the message and send that to you and you can also contact us on how to get a tape. But it's not about notes and tapes, it's all about you getting to know the richness of God and His plan for us as it focuses on the person of Christ, particularly in the fact that He is coming back for all those who know Him as Savior and He teaches us how to live the abundant life here now until He comes so that we can interact with Him for all eternity in heaven. Well, we're really covering this abundant life with just three mountaintop truths. We could cover a lot, but I've just selected three from this passage. We're going to be talking about, again, a little bit of review, which would be God's will for us. We're going to talk about God's word to us. And then we're going to talk about God's work in us. Now, these three mountain peaks also come with seven basic principles. So we have three truths and seven principles. So if you'll allow me for just a moment, because we have guests here, and we love our guests as much as we love others, we want them to be a part of where we are in this journey. So let's look at God's will for us here. Here's what it says. It says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, if you just read that, that's a great deal of comfort, but it's a tremendous challenge for us when we're facing things like what went on in Japan. And some of you have your own earthquakes and tsunamis going on right now. How do I know that? After I preached this sermon last Sunday, I was just standing here in the front. I didn't even make it to the Lanai. When one lady came up with tears streaming down her face saying, God spoke to me this morning through your message. And she told me the most heart-wrenching story that if I told it to you, you probably would think about that the rest of the sermon. But I know that God's word comforter. I got to the back of the sanctuary, another lady came up, says, I told your wife all that I'm going through right now and what I probably will go through. But that message spoke to me because no matter what I'm going through, I know that I can rejoice, that I can give thanks And I can pray. And so God's Word can really help you. Now those of you that are on the front end of this journey, you're saying, how can you rejoice always and pray unceasingly and give thanks for everything when you're going through all of this? Well, frankly, folks, I have to tell you that it is tough. Now, it's not tough because I live in Hawaii. I live way up the hill, so when the tsunami was coming, I could watch what is happening to the rest of the island. But at the same time, I have to tell you, it would be much tougher for me if I was going through what they're going through in Japan. So how could I make it? I might be able to psych myself up. I might be able to grab some wonderful humanistic saying by some great religious leaders. And you can fill in the blank who that might be. And frankly, those sayings and those little things that I can come up with on myself would probably help me. For a day maybe, a week maybe. But would not sustain me through the cataclysmic tragedy that went on. The only person that can help me to be able to deal with this in some measure when I cannot understand it, nor will ever be able to understand it, is when I have beating within my chest the Spirit of God next to my heart telling me that I can rejoice through all of this. So it takes for us to have a rock-solid, watch this now, accurate understanding of the sovereignty, more than that, the entire nature and essence of God, for us to be able then, in some measure, to rejoice always, even in the midst of this suffering. Now, folks, let me pause for a moment. Besides the friends and family members that you know who have f- friends and family members that have been impacted forever by this tremendous event, I want you to know that that is still going to affect us. We don't have to live too much uh, under a rock to know that our ec- economics is going to be affected by this through tourism. Our world is going to be shaken probably first before it will as it reverberates around the rest of the world. And when it does, we need to rejoice always, pray unceasingly, and give thanks in everything. But it requires for us to have a good, solid knowledge of God. So if you're on this side and you're really struggling with this and you want to get angry at all of this, I want to wrap my arm around you and say, I understand. It's tough for me too. But at the same time, I'm not going to sit in your misery with you i would like to tell you that what gets me through this is because god has shown me who he is often what his greater purpose is not his present purpose but greater purpose—is through his book here and what i'm going to ask you to do whether you do it through the sermons or you sit down with a person of the same sex and get into the word and get into some theology let me encourage you to do it Because there is a way to settle that earthquake of fear and anxiety and uncertainty in your own heart as it's ministered to by the Spirit of God, through the Word of God. So, first we know God's will for us is to rejoice always. It also says to pray unceasingly. Carol and I spent most of Thursday night in prayer, on the phone, praying with and for others. and We don't pray enough. And somehow to give thanks in all circumstances... And maybe, just maybe, the thankfulness that we give to the, to the Lord for this, when it says, in all circumstances, and then it says, for this is the will of God, it's not so much that that circumstance, listen, listen, might be something we'll ever understand in the will of God, but maybe the higher truth is that we're to give thanks, and the giving of thanks in all things is the will of God. And we can do that much, can't we? And I pray so. Then we ended last sermon by God's Word to us by talking about the Spirit of God. It talked about not quenching the Spirit. You see, the Spirit wants to bring God's Word to us when we have all sorts of things in our life. To instruct us, to remind us, to empower us, all of that. But if in the desire for us to go forward, we want the best of God, but we at the same time embrace embrace the philosophy of the world and we embrace the lifestyle of the world... What happens then is that the spirit who is wanting to bring us the power and the understanding, the ability to rejoice and do all of these things, is being quenched. doesn't mean that he leaves, but it means that that fire is not there to help us to get through times like this. So maybe some of you, you're struggling with this now, and because you're struggling so much with God and God is trying to help you along in this, it could be that your spirit is being quenched by some inner choices that you're making. So don't. Let the Spirit talk to you through His Word. Let the Spirit minister to you through comforting. Let the Spirit teach you to take you to another level so you can help others through all of this as well. Don't quench the Spirit. Now today I want to conclude this message with God's Word to you and God's work in you. So let's go to number five out of seven principles. The number five one is don't think less of prophecies. Don't think less of prophecies. Now, when you hear that phrase, prophecies, some of you will immediately think about someone who has a special message from God in today's time and is going to give a, re- re- uh, a revealing of that to other people. Actually, in Scripture, the prophecies here could refer to that, but that those prophecies ended when the canon of Scripture or the Bible was concluded. So you do have revelatory type prophecies. But now that's all done because what has been revealed to us is found in God's Word. So when it says here, don't think less of these prophecies, it means don't show contempt, don't think down on these things, don't despise these prophecies because God wants to speak to us. Now let's, for a moment, engage. He just told us to rejoice. He told us to be prayerful. He told us to be thankful. He also told us don't quench the Spirit because now he's saying don't think less of Scripture. You need Scripture. The Holy Spirit uses Scripture as a weapon so that we'll be able to properly deal with these things so we do need to know Scripture properly. Let me give you a quote from F.F. Bruce. He said this. He said that prophesying is declaring the mind of God, which is in God's Word, in the power of the Holy Spirit. So it is not so much foretelling something ahead of time as much as it is foretelling something that He has already revealed right here in Scripture. And that's why I want to urge all of you as much as I can, that you would prioritize your life, that you would be spending time in God's Word. Now let me make sure you understand some balance about God's Word. One time when you're reading God's Word you could read it for a little bit of information. It's good to know what the Bible has to say archaeology, history, science, I urge you to do that. Get it for information. Know it hermeneutically, the proper way to, and the science of the study of scripture. Know it in the proper dispensations and all the rest. But then move to the next level which is, you need to know it for inspiration. It needs to talk to you. It is not just one of the best books that has ever been written. It is not the best book that has ever written. This is God's mind on paper written to us. And it's supposed to change us from within, which brings us to the third area, which God's word has got to transform us. Now, I think most of you would say, because you're brothers and sisters in Christ and mature, you're going to say, amen, pastor. I do need to read it for information, but I also need it for Transformation. Some of you, you just want to read all the historical writings of the Bible and you have all your orthodoxy right, but you don't know how to apply it. Some of you buy all these Bibles that have the application for it and you're applying it to you, but you really don't know why you believe what you believe. So you need to put them both together. Now that brings us to another question. When it tells us to do this, it also tells us how important it is for us to get into God's Word so that it will change us in all areas of our life. That's why I gave you a quote from William Temple. Would you look at it in your outline? I think it's one that really could speak to you like it has to me. And here's what it says. It says, To worship is to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God, to feed the mind with the truth of God, to unshackle the imagination by the beauty of God, to open up the heart to the love of God, and to devote the will to the purpose of God. So don't treat prophecy with contempt. Now one more thought, and I want to move on into some of the ways to test this. When you look at the word contempt, the word contempt means to devalue something or to take something and treat it as too common. I remember recently, uh, well, let me say it this way, there was a, a little girl out in the Lanai this morning and uh, I love watching little kids when they have a Bible. She had a little New Testament. It could have been a Gideon New Testament. I'm not sure, but it was a little New Testament. She's standing there with all the goodies that we have and all the noise around her and her dad there and she had her Bible open and she's just staring at this. Now I thought, she's trying to impress her preacher, isn't she? No, she didn't even know who I was. And she's just going, and you know what that reminded me of? That reminded me of when I was 15 and 16. We never had a Bible, we never went to church, we never said prayer. My dad, he used the Lord's name around the house when he hit his finger with a hammer, you know, that kind of thing. But when Carol came into my life, And she led me to Christ. She gave me my very first Bible. I could not get away from this Bible. It was like a holy book. I read it at night. I took it with me to school. Everywhere I went, I couldn't wait to get into the book. Now, I'm not special. What I am saying is when we came into Christ at our young age or whenever it was, the Bible became very, very special. Unfortunately, it seems like over the years, that which has become now so much more familiar with us we begin to treat it with a lot less respect and a sense of awe like we used to do. Now if you went into my house, I don't have my one Bible, my old Schofield King James version of the Bible. I call it from Carol my original manuscript. You know, I don't have that. I have about 25 other Bibles. If I pick out my iPhone, I've got all sorts of apps in there that will give me every version and per version of the Bible I would ever want. I have it all there. I can get to it. I can download this. I can get that. And yet I have all that information. But the question is, has it driven me to an awe of God and a desire to study this book so that it changes my life so I can make a difference with those who want to make a difference. And that's what we're talking about. So when I look at the Bible and I don't treat it with contempt, then I come to a point where I see how worthy it is. And I hope that for us that we don't treat this Bible lightly. Bill Gothard one time said this. He said this about relationships that the people... We take for granted the most are the ones that are closest to us. And sometimes we take this Bible for granted because it's everywhere. It's everywhere. It's on our phone. It's on our computer. It's in our house. It's in the car. It's underneath every chair. And God says, But is it in your heart? Is it in your mind? Does it come out your tongue? Are you a walking Bible? Spurgeon said, if you cut my wrist, I would bleed biblene, the Bible. I hope that would be the case. But now you hear that and you're saying, okay, I'm ready to go. I want to get into the Bible. As much as you want to do that, I want to caution you that Satan is the greatest master at taking the most solid truth and counterfeiting it with a little ounce, a little drop of, a speck of Perversion. And all of a sudden that little piece of cancer grows and it just pervades all of religion today. And now you don't have authentic Christianity. And that's why I'd like to submit to you five tests. While they're not directly in Scripture, it does say not only not to um, look at the Scriptures here and despise them, it also talks about looking at these Scriptures and test everything. Test everything. What an operative word there. It's an all-out Christianity. So let me write down how that you can make sure that what you're hearing from this pulpit or your radio or your television or the magazines and books that you purchase and read, the seminars you attend, the conferences that you go to, that whatever you're hearing is going to be right. So let me give you five tests. Are you ready? Number one, I call it the Scripture test. Is what that person saying is in an agreement with Scripture? And by the way, let me just say that the Bible clearly says, let me just say, that the Bible clearly says that people can take God's word and mishandle it so that you now are not getting an accurate understanding of the Bible even when they use the Bible. So merely just because they say, thus saith the Lord, does not mean, thus saith the Lord. So it has to pass the scripture test. And for you to do that, it's important for you to not only go to the seminars, you're going to immediately jump into how do you live your Christian life, and I'm not against that. Go there. Go as many of those as you can. But at the same time, make sure that you're going to places where you're studying doctrine. That's why when i come to this church, we launched after we went through the practical things for men to be godly men, and we will continue to do that through breakfasts, seminars, and conferences, there's got to be a vehicle where our men are learning about the Bible, Christ, God, the Holy Spirit, angels, demons, sin, man, salvation, the church, and last things. Because where sound truth is taught and false doctrine is mostly refuted will not be from this pulpit. I know it shocks you. It's going to be refuted on your lanai's and at basketball games and at fellowships and at the beach when you're out there with sound doctrine helping to correct or teach correctly the doctrine of Christ. So it needs to know scripture. Number two, the Jesus test. Obviously, when you're listening to them, you want to find out what is their... Belief and view of what they're communicating about Christ. 1 John 4 2 says, Don't trust any teacher who comes and teaches that Jesus did not come in the flesh. So whether you're listening to them, go to their websites, find out their doctrinal statements, you're going to the seminar, do some research behind them, and find out what is their statement. Is Jesus God? He's not the mighty God. He is as much God as God is God. The men were learning that a week ago or so at our doctrine class That God is the only God. He's not just the best God, the good God, the great God, the supreme God. He's the only God. And Jesus Christ is equal to that God. Virgin born, death and resurrection for us. The Holy Spirit is as much God as God is God and Christ is God. They are three equal yet distinct persons in the Godhead. That the scripture here is inerrant, totally accurate, infallible, totally sufficient, in any other writing that claims itself to be equal from God is less. This is the only truth. And then finally, that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. And you add anything to that, you've got a problem. I'll talk about that in a moment. So it's got to pass the Jesus test. Do they believe that Jesus Christ is God totally? All right, Flesh, God, all in one. The third test is the grace test. In Galatians chapter 1, Paul was saying that even though you or anybody else, an angel from heaven, would teach you that there's any other gospel than the gospel of salvation by grace through faith in Christ... Let that person be accursed, anathema, damned of God. And you can put the words together any way you want. Why? Because when you've got the gospel of grace and you drop in there any amount of human effort, you've so perverted the gospel, you've perverted the death and resurrection of Christ, at least in information, not in truth, because He is God. But now you have erected for other people who might embrace that and they think they're on a heavenly trip. The only problem is they're on a heavenly trip to hell because that's not the truth. Now think about that for a moment. If you're saying good works is what gets you to heaven, there's no grace in there, it's all of you, all good works, then what you're saying is Jesus never did need to die. So the whole thing of Jesus is not necessary, it's a farce. If you're saying that going to heaven is by grace, through faith, but also you must do something to get saved or to stay saved, then you're saying that what Jesus Christ did was good, but it wasn't good enough. I have to help him out. He did his part. i got to do my part. You don't have grace then. You have perverted grace. And the only grace is is where God says, you don't deserve to go to heaven. You don't deserve your sins forgiven. You don't deserve to have me in a personal relationship together. But I'm going to do that. And I'm going to do it by sending my son to you. You don't deserve it. He died on the cross, rose again. And if you engage by faith alone, then you are now receiving that grace of God. And so those of you who are our guests today, I really love you. But I want you to know God loves you more and He proved His love and that while you were yet sinners, He died for you. Over that verse, you could write the word, that's grace. <laughs> and the sister word is, that's mercy. It's all put together. So do the grace test with them. It's very important. We're saved by grace, kept by grace, disciplined by grace, and taught by grace. It's all God's grace. The fourth test is the character test. So when you go to seminars and you listen to these guys and you read the books and you hear these people that are teaching, does it pass the character test? I'm going to speak a little bit to this, and I'm, I'm speaking about myself. And those of you on the radio, I want you to know I know what I'm saying. There are people today, for whatever reason, they feel more comfortable with staying home and watching television evangelists, great Bible teachers for themselves on TV, whomever they might be. And I'm not going to identify them, although I'd sure love to give you some of my opinions on some of them. And you can ask me privately, and I will. And remember, opinions are like armpits. We all have them, they all stink. But I'll give you my armpit, like Carol says, not hers, mine. So anyway, I'll give you that later. But right now, listen to what I'm about to say. It is very easy to be enthralled by a great speaker. Yay. A great communicator, which means a speaker can give you a lot of information, but a communicator reaches into your heart. But what he's speaking to you does not necessarily mean it's accurate. But a great speaker. You go to the seminars. They're great from the distance. You hear them. You follow them like a guru. And you make sure and you know a little bit about their, their, their doctrine, and they may be doctrinally right. I'm not even slamming that part of it. But here's the big question about character. Do they live what they speak? Think about what I'm about to say. You can be a great communicator of truth and we might be able to receive it, but they're especially power when someone is modeling the message. The great tragedy today is that we don't always see that these guys live what they preach and teach. So now what happens is we're probably as, as enthralled by it. The better the communicator, the more we'll listen to them. Instead of how true of their life do they live to that message that is doctrinally straight. So let me just encourage you to do the character test. Find out a little bit about them.
0: You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons. Founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida.